0: So as I was saying uh, at the beginning, I find it fascinating that when we talk about blended families, we use the word blended because when you think about the idea of a blended family, it looks a lot like if you were to put something into a blender, press the start button and forget to put the lid on because here's what happens whenever you do that. Yeah, and, and either you've done this before or I'm pretty sure every sitcom that has ever been made has had this as a situation, right? You forget to put the lid on, you press the start button. Now, if you watch, you still end up with the desired drink that you wanted, just not as much of it as you were originally desiring and a decent portion of it being splattered all over the countertop, right? And this is a really similar experience that blended families tend to have. Because you come together, and at the beginning, if you're part of a blended family, you might get this, where you're like, man, everything, God has worked this out perfectly. And that's how uh, my wife and I felt, because my wife, if you know our story, she was previously married, had a great marriage to a wonderful man, and he tragically passed away. She had two daughters from that from that marriage. And then we get together, we get married. I inherit these two daughters. And then <clears throat> after this, we have two more. And we thought, man, what, what a perfect situation. There is a whole lot of things we didn't think about. So we hit the start button and we end up with this incredible family experience, but a whole lot of it spilled over out of the top whenever this happened. Now, at the same time, this is not something that is, is just non-existent in scripture though. This is something that exists actually a lot in scripture and it describes a number of different family situations. And just like a blended family in a blender, the things that we put into blenders, it varies depending on what we're wanting, who's drinking it. For instance, last night, uh, I made my son a milkshake and he decided he wanted peaches in the milkshake. And so I added peaches to it. Turns out it was actually a really good milkshake. And then little sister saw it. And of course she has to have one too, but she needed it to be pink. So we put it in strawberries and you get different flavors. Yes, I did put the lid on top of it. And and as a result though, we have different family situations, right? So ours looks unique. Excuse me, goodness. And there's also those family situations where there was one family that was together and another family that was together and and the spouses get divorced and then they meet each other and they brought kids from... The previous relationship. And, and then there's the families where uh, cousins ended up becoming a part of the family. And then there's, uh, we could actually throw adoption into this because of the layers that go with this. There is no one set recipe when we say blended families. It's just a whole lot of stuff that comes together. And we see this in scripture as well though. Because in Genesis chapter 16, we start Seeing a blended family situation that didn't go super well. You see, there's Abraham who uh, start. (laughs) He and Sarah are struggling to have a child, and God has promised him, "You're gonna have a child. It's coming." Well, they get impatient, and Sarah says, "Look, you have your maidservant Hagar here. Why don't you go marry? uh, Go go spend the evening with Hagar. Maybe she can see. Maybe she can give you a son." And so he's sitting there like seriously you want me to go sleep with another woman and you know it yes you need this child so he goes he does exactly what she asked she ends up getting pregnant conceives a son by the name of Ishmael later on Abraham and Sarah end up conceiving they give birth to a son Isaac and then Sarah and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael now have this budding heads experience Sarah goes to Abraham and is like, I can't, how could you do this to me? And Abraham's like, I literally did what you asked me to do. What else would you want in this situation? But as a result, they end up continuing to butt heads and butt heads. And eventually Hagar and Ishmael, Abraham has to cast out his maidservant as well as his own son to keep the peace in the family. And that's not the first blended situation that takes place. If we look at Moses, You can say, well, technically, no. Moses was a blended family all by himself, okay? Here's what I mean by that. In Exodus chapter two, Moses is born of a Hebrew Israelite woman and is raised as an Egyptian prince. He is both Hebrew and Egyptian while also being neither one entirely. And think about this. Not only were there not counselors to go talk to about your struggles with personal identity at this time, but in addition to this, is there anyone Moses could go talk to in that time? And so that person say, I know how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. I've been there. Nobody gets that. And so this lack of identity in Moses of who exactly and which family do I even belong to, it wells up and it boils and it boils and not really knowing who he is this entire time keeps boiling and boiling and boiling until finally one day as he's walking around, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave and because of this lack of understanding of who he was, he can't take it anymore and he slaughters the Egyptian. He's forced to exile himself for his own safety in order to just get away. And it's, it's not until he retreats and before God helps him understand exactly who Moses is and why his experience was what it was during that time. I also skipped uh, Jacob during this, Genesis 37. Jacob had 12 sons with four different women and however... With that being the case, in chapter 37, we discover Jacob has a favorite. Now, I think I've said this before, but maybe you grew up in a family where you're like, my parents didn't have favorites. We were all loved equally. And to you, I say you were the favorites in your family growing up, okay? But now, the difference though was Jacob has a favorite. And the the big thing here though is Jacob doesn't hide it. He has, in Scripture, a finely ornamented robe. In Sunday school, a coat of many colors. He could only give it to one person, and he gives it to Joseph. It's very obvious that Joseph is the favorite son. And because of that, the brothers, who all thought, yeah, we all belong, but we don't belong as much as Joseph does. And at times, Joseph, it almost felt like he was rubbing it in, that he was loved more than they were, and they can't take it anymore. And they sell their own brother into slavery. Do I even need to go into the story of David in 2 Samuel? I mean, I'll I'll paraphrase that make it really fast. David has a son who is attracted to his half-sister, David's daughter. David's daughter does not share that same attraction. The son can't handle it, so he rapes his half-sister. And then another son, Absalom, decides to take revenge on that half-brother by killing him. And then that son Absalom turns around and tries to overthrow and kill his father, David, and is killed in the process. Now, if you read Second Samuel, the story just keeps rolling. Like, And then David went back into his palace. And you think, and there was no processing what just happened. Nothing. David lost two sons, uh, lost a, a daughter. And, and the way that uh, the, the culture worked during then. David's daughter in that scenario, like her, her life, she has nowhere to turn because of what happened. There was no recovery for it during that time and what took place. And at the same time, all these different women, all these different wives that David took on as well, they just sit and watch this happen. They're debating who's the favorite here as well. I mean, what a mess. And I didn't even name all the blended families. That's just a few of them to start off. And it just seems like these families who had their own ways of coming together, there's a lot of things that they didn't talk about. There's a lot of things that they didn't come to mutual understandings of. As someone who's a part of a blended family, I want to share with you three things that I think are real challenges in being in blended families and whether you're a part of a blended family or not I think it's important to understand these because I think you might actually be able to connect with all three of these in one way or another anyway because number one is identity in a blended family each person has their own thing they have a certain identity in who they are and that identity has value Something that I will tell you about with uh, my two oldest girls I talked about, they, they were already a part of the family when I married into the family. They beat me to it, okay? They got second and third place in that race, all right? I didn't even medal. And, these, and, and so, but one thing that did not change when Ashley and I got married is that my two daughters did not change their last name. And one of the things that, that frustrates them that they'll hear, and no one ever means it maliciously or to spite them or anything. It's just a natural thing that goes on in our heads, right? It, it really frustrates them when they are called by the last name of Lankford. And it's not because they don't like me, it's not because they don't want anything to do with being a part of our family, it's not that. It's not, but I'm a bonine. And, and it's not because of a dislike for Lankfords, but bonine is who we are. And so they always notice people in their lives who call them by that. When they list their full name, that call them by their last name, especially if they know Ashley and I. In addition to this, it's also important to know where you stand in those blended families, because that identity and who you are also provides a function for what that is. This is what was so difficult for Moses. He didn't understand his function, I I mean, at all. Who who exactly am I? When he goes to Mount Sinai to the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, that's the first question Moses asked God. I mean, God literally says, I want you to be my mouthpiece and go and liberate my slaves, the Israelites, from the most powerful nation in the world. And Moses' first question of all things is, who am I? That was it. He still doesn't know after all those years. So this is a vital piece. And whether you're part of a blended family or not, don't we all desperately seek to fully understand who we are? Challenge number two is communication. And and what I mean by that is when we struggle with identity and we struggle with relationships in one way or another, one of our tendencies is to communicate that in a really bad or unhealthy way. So when we, whenever we are frustrated because we didn't get our way in, in, in how we thought the family should talk or act or respond, we choose to communicate our missed expectations in a poorer way, which makes a worse response, makes a worse response, so on and so forth, and so on and so forth. And perhaps those of you who are a part of any family can probably talk about and discuss and imagine how those challenges have taken place. If we're being honest, how many of us have ever uh, in our marriages, for those of you who are in a marriage or ever had been in a marriage, can talk about how one of the difficulties in marriage was that you and or your spouse came into the marriage expecting your marriage to look like the marriage of your parents. Anybody? Just out of curiosity? Just me, no one expected that. Okay, cool. All right, we'll just wrap up the sermon. It's been good. Thank you guys for having me. It's been awesome. No, that's a natural thing, whether you understand, like whether you realize it or not, there are certain mind frames that we tend to take into, well, that's just how it was in my family growing up. And I hear that all the time. And so this communication can be challenging. I wanted to switch over just a little bit though, because... One of the challenges that that exists in this is not just those expectations of what we experienced growing up, but also whether you had a healthy, unhealthy experience of family growing up. Something that does happen is we all have a framed expectation in our mind of what family should look like. I joked at the beginning of this series that the ideal family has a happily married husband and wife who has 1.5 children, one dog, no cats, and a 401k, okay? I know that's not exactly what it is, but in our minds, we had this point of view of here's exactly how it's supposed to look, and that mark, is what we're shooting for. And and the first lesson I gave was how ridiculous it is that we we try to do that. But at the same time, we still have a a, a goal, an understood expectation and standard that we're trying to hit for this. And blended families, I think it's extra hard because there's different expectations depending on the experiences of everyone involved. But God... Turn this upside down through Jesus Christ in this incredible way. Paul writes it so well here. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 24, he says this, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If we believe scripture to be true, let me read that verse one more time. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Let me read that last verse one more time because I want to talk about the most difficult part. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. In my personal opinion, the hardest part of being in a blended family or any family is that lack of belonging that we feel. Ashley talked about this a pretty good bit toward the end of her uh, sermon last week. And and I joked with her a lot because as she and I were talking about her sermon and and how it was going to look and take shape, uh, I realized you've kind of stolen the sermon I was going to do. And so we switched a little bit because she was going to talk about blended families last week. And the more we talked, the more it felt like the spirit was moving her toward what she did share last week. And my experience of blended families is very different from hers for a number of reasons. But you see, my sense of belonging was a little different because when she and I got married, Ashley still had a really, really close and great relationship with her in laws from her previous marriage. And you see, crazy story, and it's for a different time, but. I had actually known Ashley's father-in-law for 10 years before we ever actually went on our first date. And we worked together, our classrooms were right next door to each other the entire time that we were dating. We ended up teaching at the same school. And so we were able to talk about a number of things, but when we got engaged, I remember going to the family and seeing that side of the family and I, I really didn't know what to expect. I honestly thought moving forward that whenever we came to family gatherings, that me and any children that Ashley and I had from then moving forward would essentially be, um, oh, yay, Ashley's here and Audrey and Addison and Casey and the kids are here too. That's good, I guess. And we were just going to kind of be on the outside looking in. And, And for me, I understood it, right? Like they would rather have the man that Ashley was married to who passed away. I get it, it doesn't hurt my feelings. And it was a sad event and I just figured I would just kind of be on the outside looking in. And as our wedding got closer, we changed a few plans in our, our wedding plans. I, I'm a big includer. I always want people to always feel like they're a part, that they belong, that, they, that they're... So like when we were first planning our wedding, I was like, I want everybody to come. Everybody from our old workplace, new workplace, people we haven't met before, like the, you know, Scripture talks about God inviting people on the streets, like people on the streets, let's go, let's come to the wedding, let's do this. And I was ready for like 700 people to show up, okay? That wasn't how many people were going to come because I don't have that many friends. But at the same time, I was ready to have so many people. And after talking about it, we realized we just want this to be the people really close to us. So we had 50 total. And because there were three sets of family, my family, Ashley's family, and her in-laws, Uh, That took up all but like 10 spots in who we could have. And I remember a very special picture that was taken at our wedding. Do we have that that we can show? This is our third set of family. If you guys think the holidays are stressful for you because you have to go to your family and your in-laws, we got three, okay? Take that. Um, This family, this picture is really special to me for a couple of reasons, I wanna talk about an experience that I had um, on the wedding day because by far, no questions asked, the highlight of of that day was marrying my wife and and I I put a ring on her finger, I put rings on Audrey and Addison's fingers as well and and pledged to be like the best dad that I could be to them. It it wasn't great, but I've done my best so far. But at the same time, while that was the highlight, a couple of experiences that took place regarding this picture came in second. You see, growing up, my grandparents, um, my, my final biological grandparent died when I was nine years old. And the in, my grandparents all had my parents later in life, and then my parents had me a little later on in life. And so, I only knew the grandparents that I did have memories with as being very, very frail. They just couldn't get around. They couldn't do a whole lot. They were sweet. They were wonderful people. But they weren't able to really do much outside of leave their own home. And so I enjoyed the conversations I had, but I always envied those friends that I had who grew up with grandparents where they would share all these incredible experiences and have these amazing conversations. I just never really had it. They had all passed away. And I'd always thought how cool it would be to have a grandparent who would really be intentional about being a part of my life because mine just weren't able to. And so um, I, I wanna highlight one person. It's uh, the third lady, to, third lady to the left. Um, if you've been a part of like the Churches of Christ in the greater Houston area, you might know who that is. That's Kay Onstead, Mimo to us. And I still remember about 90 minutes before this picture was taken. I, I'm, uh, I'm walking into the building to, to finish getting dressed and, and Kay and um, one of the other family members pulls up in their car, they hop out and they just run, oh, we're so excited for today, we're, we're so thrilled. And, and I'm feeling weird about the whole thing, okay? I am because in a way there's part of me, that feels like I'm almost like stealing this other person's life and his family's there to witness it. And so not that I was, but there is this tension, if nothing else, just within me. And also wondering how do I fit in? How do I belong in this family? And uh, Kay gets out of the car. She said, Casey, could I, could I talk to you over on the side? And I said, sure. Um, if you know anything about them, they, she's a pretty wealthy lady. She's, she's the matriarch of the family too. And an incredibly sweet lady. But I was wondering if she was going to be like, Hey, don't blow this. Okay. Um, I I am a very powerful person and I will ruin you if you don't. Um, if you know her, you know, she is nothing like that at all. But I'm 25. I don't know her super well. Uh, I had good conversations with her before, but I didn't know what was coming. And so she pulls me aside. She said, you know, it is so special to me. I think it is so great that, that you get to marry Ashley and that I can tell you really want to be a dad to Audrey and Addison. And I'm looking like, yes, ma'am, I absolutely will. Please don't order a hit on me. And I'm, I'm feeling nervous. And she said, you know, this is a hard day for us because that was my grandson that we lost and that's his family you're inheriting. But because you're marrying this woman and you're taking on these girls, I wanna ask before this ceremony, would you be interested in being my grandson? That's the, marrying her is still the top. That's a close second right there. I couldn't believe it. And, and, and not just a, this'll be nice, that'll be okay, no she really did want me to be a part of the family. And, and it, and it was incredible. And and I'll say the woman next to Ashley, okay, have you noticed my wife has not aged a day since this picture either? So, um, I lost a lot of weight since that picture. So, you know, I'm doing good. But the woman next to Ashley, that's Anne. That was Michael's mother. And, and the hard moment in in this wedding for us, uh, at least for me, to watch and experience. And, you know, I'm shaking hands. I'm giving people hugs. It's a wonderful day. And the wedding's been over for, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. And Anne's watching somebody else inherit her son's family. And she goes to me with tears in her eyes and said, Casey, I want to tell you, I am so... Happy for you today. You know, it's hard to belong in a family, but after those two conversations, my perspective on this family, whether or not I belong here, and the things that I battle on a daily basis of whether or not I belong in my own family, it comes back to a whole lot of peace because it would not, I would totally understand if they were like, hey, you're kind of here, you're a nice guy, but you're not really. But we're invited to all the Christmas and Thanksgiving gatherings. Whether people understand it or not, the little girl who's being held on the far right, for the next three years after this day, she referred to me as Aunt Ashley's special friend. And I'm sitting there like, I, you were literally at our wedding. I don't know what else to tell you. And... And so, and you see, a a lot has happened. Our kids have gotten a lot older, so of all the other kids in this picture. And there's a few people who couldn't make it to this wedding. But you know what else was special was about 18-ish months after this picture was taken, we, Ashley and I call up Ann and Preston and we ask if we can sit down and talk with them privately because we knew it would be really difficult to tell them in a way that she and I were expecting a child. And so we go to their house and we sit down and we said, look, we love y'all. And we wanted to tell you before we told anyone else that we're expecting a baby. And we knew that'd be tough. And they said, you know, and you called and told us, we figured this might be the case. And we wanna tell you three things. Number one, we are so happy for y'all. Number two, We're not going to lie. This is really hard for us. And number three, if we're being really honest, it's a little weird. I'm like, thank you. Yes. Right. But they hugged us afterwards. And here's what's so special about this type of family that I've, that I never thought I would belong in. Can you go to the next slide? Is that not only are my two older girls in this picture, but my two younger ones are in it as well. And they're pictured with their Annie and their Poppy. And they still haven't figured out that there is zero blood relation between them. They have no idea. They had a cousin on the other side of the family tell Millie recently, Well, you know, Annie and Poppy's not like really her grandparents. She goes, Uh, yeah, they are. She has no idea. And Annie and Poppy would have it no other way. They consider Gatlin and Millie their grandkids as well. All like, golly, like 14 of them. There's quite a few. You know, it was so difficult, but let me tell you about a passage of scripture that growing up, I never thought a whole lot of. It was the one that we started off our worship with. It was this Sadducee that goes to Jesus and says, hey, so there was this man and this woman who were married, but they didn't have kids and then the man died. And so this wife then by law ends up marrying his brother and then they don't have kids and then he dies. So she marries the next brother and then he dies, And this happens over and over. Seven times. So at the resurrection, whose wife is she? Which I'm thinking, okay, in this scenario, can we be honest? By the time we get to husband number five, we gotta think she's killing her husbands, right? I mean, wouldn't that make sense? That many husbands? So I'm just throwing it out there. Like Jesus didn't even mention that part, but they're, they're throwing out this scenario. But he, the question is, At the resurrection who we tend to focus on the part where Jesus talks about the resurrection that the Sadducees don't really buy into. And and that is true. That's valid. But the husband and wife thing for a lot of people doesn't matter that much. This scripture is huge for me. Because I've wondered on the other side of this life, is actually my wife or is she Michael's? Jesus is sitting here saying you're going to be so thrilled and so overwhelmed with the majesty of the presence of God that you won't even care. That God is that big to overcome all the hurts that exist in all the families blended or not that exist in your life where Jesus is saying you're missing the whole point. It's not about belonging in your biological or legal family. It's about belonging in the family of God. Let me tell you who gets blended families is Jesus. I mean, for starters, he isn't a blended family. He isn't one because he has a different father than all of his brothers and and his sisters and And Ashley referenced this passage in uh, Matthew last week, where his brothers and mother come and say, hey, we're looking for you. And Jesus said, whoever does the will of my father is my mother and my brothers. Now that sounds a little harsh, but let me tell you who I think understood it when it was said is James, James, the brother of Jesus. Because whenever we read about New Testament scripture, something that we'll see quite a bit, like with Paul, he'll take authorship and he'll talk about, here's why you need to listen to me. I was a Pharisee. I'm a Roman citizen. I I am uh, Jewish by by birth of the tribe. And goes down the line to say, here's why what I say is valid. If there's someone who would have validity in what they say about the words and life of Christ, it would probably be the brother of of Jesus. Can you imagine how hard his upbringing must have been? Anytime he messes up, they're like, why can't you just be more like Jesus? And he's like, are you serious? Like, was his punishment growing up that like, anytime he got in trouble, he had to wear a WWJD bracelet growing up all the time? Like as he's getting scolded, he looks over at Jesus. And he's like, be perfect. Therefore, is your heavenly father's perfect. And like, you know, there's so much there. But here's what's incredible. While Paul talks about the validity to say, here's why you should listen to me, here's James who grew up watching Jesus, who in the gospel was probably part of that group who went looking for him. And Jesus looks and says, if you do the will of my father, then you are my mother and my brothers. And throughout the letter of James, and it's chock full of a lot of good stuff, at no point in that letter does James claim, you should listen to me because I am the brother of Jesus Christ. At no point does he claim it. We had to do a lot of our own scholarly digging to figure that out, actually. And so James, who could say, I have this blood relation, like I grew up with the guy, I know his family roots, I know all this, says, no, 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 it's all about the will of God. And his whole letter is about if you truly do believe in God, it should change everything about your life. James, just the fact that he wrote that, seeing his upbringing is a testament to buying in to what that means. And so our praise team is gonna come out. And if you're part of the prayer team, if you wouldn't mind, headed to the back. And I know I've talked a lot about blended families, but I know that there is a feeling of a a desire in everyone to belong. And not just belong, but to belong to something bigger than yourself. Oftentimes we use family units to do that, but sometimes our family unit might actually cause more hurt in our lives than if it were just our friends. Ashley talked a lot about how special of a place Cinco Ranch is, that this is a place to belong, and that is so true. But I'll tell you, you know what's even better than the family at Cinco Ranch is the family of God. Because Cinco Ranch is a part of that, but there are so many other people in the area of Katy and Cinco Ranch and in greater Houston and in Texas and the United States and the globe who are worshiping with us in different locations all throughout today. And the story that they share is the same story that each of us share. For those of us who choose to put faith in Jesus Christ, we are heirs to the promise that was made to Abraham, that we are the children of God and we are no longer defined by our families or our upbringings or our failures or even the good things in our life, but we are only defined as being the children of God. But sometimes we forget that and that is so difficult. So this morning, I wanna invite you, for those of you who may be struggling with that sense of belonging, to go back to one of our prayer members and say, here's something that I'm just dealing with. Maybe it's something that you've done and maybe it's just something that's made you feel a certain way. They're a safe space we've talked about. They are not allowed to share with other people. People go back there every week. I have no idea what they talk about. But they're there simply to pray and ask God to move in our lives and in our community. So if that's something that you would like to experience, feel free to head to the back as we stand and sing our next song.